I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's To the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. Donald escapes, trying to buy himself some time. Fires end zone. It's caught. Incredible play by Donald. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know and that's <laughs> the QAnator. Oh my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studio, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for the Jets and Cardinals pregame report and dipping into the mailbag for your questions. And we'll have some gambling tips courtesy of Walter Cherapinski of WalterFootball.com later too. But we'll start, of course, with the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And above all that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbly. So, Chris... I got to say, I'm pleasantly surprised that the folks over at Roland Garros for the French Open got their act together. You were very upset. You thought you were going to have to be up at 4 o'clock this morning to watch the tennis matches, but it's actually 9 o'clock, so you get to watch it, and then you get to watch the football games. You get a normal night of sleep. I'm glad for these folks that they got their act together because if you had sent out an angry tweet, you would have shut the whole tournament down because, as everyone knows, you are a very big deal. Yeah, I, it's, listen, I watched all, like 90% of this uh, the French Open. I've been watching all of it, consuming it, uh, and I've been loving it and enjoying it. And I, I sat there, I looked at the ESPN app, and it said 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, which is 10 a.m. French time. And I was like, why would you start the final, the women's final at 10 a.m.? And then the next day I looked, and they moved it to 9 a.m. our time which is a much more reasonable, uh, you know, a, a time there. That's, uh, so uh, l- lucky for me, I get this and uh, I get to, I don't have to miss sleep or uh, be up at four o'clock in the morning to watch this. Cause that's what I would have done. I, I told you I was either going to be pulling an all nighter or I was going to wake up at four o'clock in the morning, but I was going <laughs> to watch this live mostly because I have to get my bets in on, on it. Cause uh, you know, that goes hand in hand, but yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. And I'm going to enjoy it later. Were there ever any doubt that Chris Nimbley is a maniac? That doubt should have just been dispelled as we talk about this game between the Jets and the Cardinals, and you want to talk about maniacs. How about Le'Veon Bell rushing to get back when he probably could have milked this injury considering what's going on? He is back, but the rest of the guys on this injury report, including Denzel Mims, are not coming back. In fact, Adam Gase said 
during the week, they're not that comfortable with where Mims is at right now. I'm starting to wonder if this guy's even going to play this year. And remember, it started as a hamstring tweak early in training camp. They said he'd be back in a couple of days. And now it's week five, and they're saying he's still not that close to returning. What's going on here? Oh, man, I wish I knew. And this is the worst possible thing because you can't help but feel bad for uh, Denzel Mims. And I can't stand the idea of fans sitting here being like, oh, he's a bust, a wasted pick. But it's also like there's not not much you can say except for, the you know, injuries happen. It's rookie year and it sucks. But um, and now everyone's going to go da- immediately to the Devin Smith. I, I'm seeing – Stephen Hill comparisons. What do you come on? Come on! Like <laughs> he hasn't even gotten on the field yet. Don't call him a bust. And I understand the injuries, and and you should absolutely be concerned that we might not even see him at all this year. But again, this isn't. I, I'm going to say this again with him. It's not. He hasn't had injuries throughout college. Um, I just think it just came at a bad time. He re-aggravated it trying to do. Then he uh, got back out there and he uh, hurt the other one. Um, and I don't know what it is. Are they trying to push him back a little too early because he he's not he- healed yet? And then they try to open him up. But just what I will say is this, is don't pin this on Denzel Mims and judge Denzel Mims off of this injury in this year. But this is another reason why – what is Adam Gase doing with his players uh, that they're always getting injured and he can't get guys healthy, he can't keep important guys healthy. And then we saw what happened last week with him playing Makai Becton and then sending Sam Darnold back out there on a third and five. And then this week he's talking about how hey, sports science says this isn't good, but we got to ramp up the intensity and – I, I don't know if he knows what he's doing, and that has to be playing into this somehow. We've been talking about this when coach, coaches have to deal with injuries any single year. You can just be like, whatever, that this is football, this happens. But every year of his career as a head coach, this happens to his teams, and it's happening again. He, it has to have something to do with him. I will say this as far as what you're talking about with it being crazy to compare Mims to Devin Smith and Stephen Hill. I'll give you Stephen Hill for sure, but I think the Devin Smith comparisons are fair, not because I think that he's necessarily going to be a bust like Devin Smith, but because remember, Devin Smith was hurt his rookie year and didn't play that much, and I think we may be headed down that road with Denzel Mims, unfortunately. Let's talk about the other injuries, though, Chris. The two big ones, Makai Becton, Brashad Perriman, those guys look like they are not going to play who else is not going to play today? Yeah, well, they're both doubtful. Uh, Sam Darnold is obviously out. Uh, everybody else is questionable. So we got uh, Blesson Austin, Ashton Davis, John Franklin Myers, Chris Hogan, and Jordan Jenkins are all questionable. Um, again, obviously, Darnold being out is the biggest one. Means you get to watch Joe Flacco with the Jersey Edge, which no, no. And first off, South Jersey, and there's no edge in South Jersey. And Joe, Flag, stop, stop with that. Um, but yeah, so those are the injuries. Obviously, this is not the roster Jets fans were hoping to be watching on Sundays. 
but this is the one that you get to get this Sunday. That's one way of putting it, Chris. So let's talk yeah. about this game real quickly. We'll do a preview and prediction. I think that the key here, obviously, is the Jets have to find a way to contain Kyler Murray. And then on the other side of the ball, they have to actually move the ball and score some points. I know that sounds pretty obvious, but it's something the Jets haven't done so far this year. And Kyler Murray's the type of quarterback that the Jets have a lot of trouble with. You saw what happened with Josh Allen week one. Kyler Murray leads the Cardinals in passing and rushing. So they're going to have to try everything they can to stop him. And then, of course, you've got DeAndre Hopkins, who is really the only offensive weapon that has done anything besides Murray himself. As I was talking about with Cameron Cox on Know Your Foe on Friday, Andy Isabella is the team's second-leading receiver with about 100 yards receiving for the season so far. And Kenyon Drake, despite being a Gase watch candidate because everybody talks about how much better he is without Gase, has not been good this year. He's averaging under four yards to carry. So it's all going to be Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. Can the Jets stop them? I'm going to say probably not. I think this ends up being about a 24-7 to game. And the Cardinals will get back on track. They are 2-2 two and two right now after having lost their last two. They're going to need this one, and I think they'll get it. Uh, everything you just said, you got to expect Kyler Murray is going to make some plays with his legs. you got to expect that they don't have anyone that can cover DeAndre Hopkins. Um, I know Christian Kirk, the, uh, the other wide receiver, missed some time right at the beginning. He was dealing with some injuries. Um, but I, I'm a little surprised they haven't been able to get him a little bit more involved in the last couple of weeks, and I'm looking for that to kind of happen this week. Uh, the Kenyon Drake, Chase Edmonds thing is, is weird and frustrating, uh, especially for people who might have him in, uh, have them in fantasy or people like me who might have both of them in fantasy, and you're watching Chase Edmonds perform just a little bit better than Kenyon Drake each week, but not – clear enough that you can just feel comfortable with Chase Edmond, but here's here's the thing. I expect a pretty big game from Chase Edmond today, and I think Kenyon Drake will get some you some points. I think both of them will get you some points against this defense, and the, the flip side is, I just what can I possibly expect from this offense this week? What With Becton out, um, with Darnold out, <coughs> Joe Flacco just coming back from his neck injury. Uh, we saw what Joe Flacco looked like at the end of his time in Baltimore. It was not good. We saw what he looked like in Denver. It was not good. I do not expect Joe Flacco to be able to come in here and start lighting it up. And, you know, so and I just, where's the wins coming from? And I don't mean the win as in the game because the, I can't see them doing it. Where are they going to be able to have success on the field? And I, I don't know. I can't point to anything, any bat, a position battle, any matchup that they can win consistently enough to make an impact in the game. So, yeah, I, I think that is going to be an easy win by the Cardinals, 27-7 along those lines. With that, Chris, let's dip into the mailbag, and we'll start with your favorite, Peter J. Dillard. And yes, I think you know what's coming here. If you listen to the podcast, you know what's about to happen and what Chris's reaction is about to be. So Peter asks, gentlemen, is there a position on this team that is actually good? I feel like they need to draft a new player for each position now that the usurper has destroyed both the quarterback and the young left tackle. Thoughts on Bryce Hall. Are we going to see him this year? So we'll start with the first part of this. 
I think that the only two players on this team, and I've said this before, that you're pretty much guaranteed to be here three years from now are Quinnen Williams and Mackay Becton. So make of that what you will. I think essentially you need to draft at almost every position on the field, particularly almost every premium position with the exception of left tackle. As far as Bryce Hall... I'm not sure where he's at health-wise, Chris. I'll let you talk about that. We knew that he wasn't going to be able to play right away because he was drafted with the injury. But last I'd heard, his recovery was going pretty well. Maybe after the bye, there's a chance we'll see him, but I'm not entirely sure. Chris, what do you know about Bryce Hall? And then what are your thoughts on what Peter said about replacing players at pretty much every position? Yeah, with Bryce Hall, I haven't heard anything recently. Uh, I... Haven't really had high expectations that you'd see him really at any point this season. But I think, you know, towards the end of the season, after the bye, that point, you could possibly see it. And, you know, especially with the state of the secondary, even with, uh, you know, we had we had high hopes that maybe Bless on Austin was going to be able to be a player. And he's done some decent things in coverage. His tackling is just a disaster, though. Um, so they don't really have anything out there. So if they can get um, Hall healthy to just throw him out there and see what they got, that would that would be great. Just to know if you have something in them. But I mean, uh, listen, anyone that that correctly uses the word usurper as much as Peter does is right, and he's right here because. <laughs> Because it, it's it's Mackay Becton, it's Quinn and Williams, and that that's really it. Um, the rest of the offensive line could easily be improved. Uh, obviously, quarterback play could be improved for whether it's a new coach that gets more out of Darnold or a new quarterback. Um, and the wide receivers clearly, tight end Herndon has been bad. Uh, it's not. Uh, I can't even blame all of that on Gase. He's had too many drops as well. Uh, and then defensively, there's not a lot there either. So, man, they they need a whole new team, uh, a whole new team, and it's gonna it's gonna be tough to get there. And we're gonna have to wait and see exactly how it does. I guess you got someone like John Franklin Myers. You've seen some stuff from that that that's hopeful. Uh, there's a few other players on this roster that you can have hope with, um, you know, and then you got like a player like Marcus May, who's very solid, but they, he's not, you're not building an entire team around. So there, there's a lot of work to do there. There's a, a decent amount of players that you can bring back and you can be like, all right, we're, we're all right with you for now. Why are we focused on upgrading these other positions? But man, there's so much work to be done in the offseason. It's it's crazy how little progress this team has made. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. 
Next question comes in from JP Waxer. He says, I got to know, Manish insists the bad decision to put Becton in the game against the Broncos last week was a joint decision by Gase and Joe Douglas, but I'm not buying it. When Douglas was hired, the pitch was transparency and cooperation with the coach. Until Gase is gone, Douglas has limited power, right? So let's address this, Chris, because a lot of people have talked about this when we've brought up Robbie Anderson, too. To the best of my knowledge, here's how it works. Douglas has final say over the 53-man roster, and he's going to lean on the coach the way that any general manager would and get input. And so he's going to want to give the coach the guys that he thinks he needs to be successful, run his system, so on and so forth. So with Robbie Anderson, for example, if Joe Douglas wanted to overrule Adam Gase and sign Robbie Anderson, he could have. But from what I understand, both Joe Douglas and Adam Gase were not that high on Robbie Anderson, particularly from a character standpoint, and they chose to offer him a very low offer, didn't really care if he came back, and so he ended up going to Carolina. As far as this decision with Makai Becton, Manish said that typically it's the front office and the coaching staff that decide after they hear from the doctors. So Chris, I'll let you talk about that. But enlighten us a little bit on both the Becton decision and how the power structure works here, because as I said, as far as I know, even though Douglas is going to lean heavily on Gase or whoever the coach is, he still has the final call. So in a situation like Robbie Anderson, if he wanted to overrule Gase, he could have. Yeah, he can absolutely do that. It's, um, you know, the, uh, the saying of uh, the GM has control over the entire roster and then the coach gets to control who plays on game day. Um, they work together on th- certain things. And this is, I'll go a teeny little tangent here. Like I saw people, you know, obviously complaining about the Kalen Balaj thing and, you know, fails or, uh, or Luke Falk, just Gase bringing in Gase guys and people thinking that means that Joe Douglas is all in on Gase. And no, GMs are always going to work with their coaches to some degree, especially when we're talking bottom of the roster guys okay, we need to go get out a, a backup running back here. And the coach has a familiar that, – that goes hand in hand. So you can't really ever read too much into that. The GM's going to want to give his coach some of those guys, and then that coach can't use the complaint that you're not giving me any of the guys I want for that GM. So that all kind of goes that way. Uh, with the Mackay Becton thing – it's definitely a little more tricky. Uh, I I didn't look at that. They have to have a certain amount of offensive linemen dressed uh, in order to be able to use all the roster spots on game day. And he it, it couldn't have been a joint decision, though, to put him in after uh, mid-game because uh, Joe Douglas isn't there talking to him during the game. They didn't start him. And then they put him in. And this is just, you know, this if you're not healthy enough to start, you're not healthy enough to play. Point blank, period. I can get it if we're talking like AFC Championship or Super Bowl type of thing. Um, but And I understand that they're running out of bodies. But this is your, number, your first round draft pick who has looked otherworldly and is one of the very few things got going for you. You can't just send him back out there because somebody else got hurt. Um, but, yeah, that decision in-game, that decision was on game. 
piece. That decision. Now, did him and Douglas talk about this beforehand and say, hey, we have an injury, we might have to play him, and maybe they agreed on it then? Maybe it's possible, but the decision to put him in, it came in-game from Adam Gase, and it was a terrible decision. And it's a terrible decision to even have him active unless I'll, I'll have to do the math on it and go and look at the exact roster. I'll tweet it out later. But uh, it, it, if they just had to dress him just to have an active offensive lineman, then cool, I'm uh, that's understandable and I'm good with that. But you can't put him back in the game. But they put him back in the game. And, again, this just goes to point along to – the problems that we've seen with uh, injuries on on Gase's teams and the way that players really seem to continually over and over again have problems with the way that Adam Gase handles injuries to players. Next question comes in from Sean Stalker. He says, Scott, in the very big deal, Chris Nimbley, there was a report on Rich Simini's podcast that Adam Gase doesn't believe in pre-snap motion. The best teams and offensive minds are using it to create mismatches and help their quarterbacks, as Dan Orlovsky has talked about. The Jets never do it. How can Gase be this unsuccessful and this stubborn at the same time? Well, if you look throughout history, there have been a lot of people in a variety of different capacities that have been very, very stubborn based on early success that they never decided to update. So let me give you an example. Henry Ford was revolutionary with the Model T, and it did huge business for Ford, and everybody knows how Ford was the American Motor Company. But as time went on, they started to lose market share and Henry Ford's son came to him and had an idea for a different design. And Henry Ford basically berated him and told him to go away and said, we've always made money with the Model T. That's what we're going to do. And then obviously it didn't work out that well for Ford because they started to really lose market share and then they had to eventually figure something out. I think that's sort of what happened with Gase. Henry Ford had a ton of success with the Model T. Adam Gase had a ton of success as an offensive coordinator with Peyton Manning. So he's under the false impression that if he just takes his system that worked with Peyton Manning and the players do what he tells them to do, then they're going to go 16-0. We've sort of heard him talk about this during press conferences where he'll have a quote like, well, if we just execute the plays, we're going to be fine. That's what that's about. Gase had a lot of success in Denver, but instead of realizing why that success happened and why he's failing now, he just continues to believe that what he did in Denver is what needs to happen here. And the only reason they're not having success is because the players are failing him and not executing his brilliant scheme. So that's really what it comes down to. As far as the pre-stamp motion, that probably falls into that category because Gase is stubborn. He believes his way is the only way. And even if he continues to fail, he thinks that it's just a failure of the players and not his own brilliant scheme. Yeah, okay, I'll start with the pre-stamp stuff. So it, there's a thought process that that makes the job harder on a young quarterback uh, in a way because he has to set all that stuff up and get that stuff right. Now, that is not a thought process that I uh, go along with because I think the advantage is greatly outweigh it. You can, it's a little easier to diagnose the defense. You can see who's matched up onto who. It gives the quarterback a little bit more time and sees some movement. Um, but that that's really what he's going with here is uh, that it doing not doing it is for simplifying it for Darnold. But otherwise, you 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 nailed it because um, 
that I've said this before. I said this last year. Adam, it, the scheme Adam Gase runs is fine. There's nothing wrong with the scheme. The scheme will work, but you have to have the talent to pull it off. The Jets don't have the talent to pull it off. So that's where you have to go and look at doing something different. That's where you have to go try to be Kyle Shanahan-ish. Because I'm going to keep pointing this out. The, the San Francisco 49ers have been decimated by injuries. They were using their third-string quarterback. They're still able to move the ball. You can still see other teams uh, – struggling and not being good, like necessarily great on offense, but they're still able to move the ball and put points on the board. Look at what we expected Jacksonville to be doing. They were going to be tanking. They got rid of all their good players, but they're still moving the ball. They're still putting points on the board. They're scheming guys open. Like that's what you have to do. So if he has the talent to run the scheme, the scheme will go fine. But he doesn't have the talent, but he's still stubbornly sticking to the scheme instead of trying to do something different. It's very frustrating because it just doesn't make sense that I feel like this is one of those uh, too deep in the forest to see the trees type of thing. He's so into his own scheme and what it is that he can't realize that he just doesn't have the talent to do it. He needs to take a step back and scheme up other ways. Like, just go watch the 49ers and just copy to Kyle Shanahan's playbook, please. Something. Because what he's been doing his year and a you know, quarter here and his entire time in Miami is not working. Final question comes in from by NYJ Gary V. <laughs> he says, what is going on with Cam Clark? Is he on IR? If not, has he been practicing in a completely lost year with Greg Van Roten being a literal turnstile? I would like to see if Cam Clark can step in at some point soon and show some promise. Would be nice if he could be a building block on the offensive line. So Cam Clark has been on IR. I think eventually you're going to see him. You're going to have to because, as you said, Van Roten's been terrible, and at a certain point you're going to have to play Clark if he's healthy because why not? I agree. I think if Cam Clark can become a keeper going forward, that'll be a huge win not only for this season but for the years to come. And so I hope that one of the things that comes out of this season is that Cam Clark gets to play and plays well. I've said the same thing about Denzel Mims, even though I'm less optimistic that he's going to be able to do much this year. But if Cam Clark, Denzel Mims as two examples can show that they can be something, then it'll be a lot easier to be optimistic heading into the offseason. Yeah, and that's what I said with Bryce Hall. That applies to Bryce Huff. It applies to any player that you might think or hope has any little potential. It applies to Perrine. Like, stop giving Gore carries. And honestly, lay me on Bell's back. That's great. Use him as a receiver and let Perrine handle most of the carries. Uh, because we know that Le'Veon Bell, Adam Gates, and this offense isn't going to work. Uh, we know what Frank Gore is. We know he's not long. We need to see what Perrine is. Uh, we need uh, Joe Douglas needs to know if he's going to need to draft another uh, running back next year. He's, he go, uh, we know Makai Becton's good. The rest of that line needs to be replaced. Is Cameron Clark a, a possibility – to replace him uh, because 
either way, it's it's doubtful that at this point that he's going to end up playing enough that you're going to be anywhere confident. Like, oh, for sure he's the guy. But at least you want to see something hopeful. Like, okay, we can probably get by with him next year. We could sign somebody in free agency to compete with them, but we don't necessarily need to spend a high draft pick to address this situation this year. Um, that's what you're hoping for. And that's with all of the young players. You really want to get them out there so you can see that. And, you know, that's, that's a huge underrated aspect of the whole injury problem because everybody focuses on you don't have the, the guys you need to win the games. True. But if you also don't have the young guys healthy and available to see if they're actually any good, that's a whole nother problem. Because then we're going to go into the offseason next year and you're going to have no answers on these guys. So you need a hope to be able to see some playing time. You know, at training camp, I saw ups and downs with Cameron Clark. There was some bad, but there was some really good and hopeful signs. It's just training camp, though. You can't read anything into that. You need to see more of that during the season. And if, if he's not going to be able to play, then Joe Douglas is going to have to go into the offseason thinking, okay, I can't count on this. Like, it would be a pleasant surprise if he – or not even that pleasant surprise. That might be a little too much, but it would be a, a pleasant reward if he does turn out, but I can't bank on it. And right now what you're looking for as a general manager or as fans, is you're just looking at players you can bank on for next year. And like we said, right now, that's Makai Becton and Quinn Williams. Thanks, Chris. And now, before we run, let's check in with our buddy Walter Cherapinski of WalterFootball.com. He's got your weekly NFL gambling picks to try and help you make a few bucks this Sunday. Walter, let's try and put a few bucks in some people's pockets this Sunday. Welcome to the show, my man. Thanks, Scott. So the Jets play on Sunday this week instead of Thursday, so I can mention them as a team we can bet against once again. Uh, I like the Cardinals at minus seven. Uh, the, with the Jets having Mekhi Becton out, I, I don't think they're going to be able to pass protect against the Cardinals, who are going to be trying to stop this two-game losing streak they're on. Uh, they had some bad luck last week against the Panthers, and I think they overlooked the Lions. So I think this is a get-right game for Kyler Murray, and I think he has a big game against the Jets defense. And it just seems like the Jets are just too undermanned right now. I know they got la- they're going getting Le'Veon Bell back. They got Jamison Crowder back last week. Still too too few weapons uh, to keep up with the Cardinals. So I like Arizona minus seven. Uh, staying in the AFC East, I like the Dolphins plus nine at San Francisco. I know Jimmy Garoppolo is playing, but the 49ers are so banged up. They're missing all their edge rushers. They're missing four cornerbacks, and the Dolphins have a, a group of talented, talented receivers. So I think the Dolphins should be able to move the ball on them and keep up and maybe even win outright. So I like the plus nine there with a Dolphin team that's very underrated. Uh, Their three losses this year have been to Seattle, New England, and Buffalo. Three teams that have a combined record of 10-2. and two. Uh, Their one win was a blowout victory against Jacksonville. So I think this Dolphins team is pretty underrated. Uh, elsewhere, I like the Steelers minus 7 over the Eagles. The Eagles are another team that's so banged up. They're going to be missing three starting offensive linemen. And Lane Johnson, is not included in that, is banged up. And he's just not 100%. So blocking the Steelers front, which is just excellent, is going to be so problematic for the Eagles. I know they won in San Francisco last week. But they're not going to have Nick Mullins missing easy passes. Uh, Ben Roethlis 
Roethlisberger should should light up their secondary. So I, I like the Steelers to cover the minus seven. I also like the Giants at plus nine and a half. It's a big number. I, I know the Giants are just so underwhelming right now, but Dallas does not deserve to be favored by about double digits. Uh, the Cowboys are missing uh, three offensive linemen as well with Tyron Smith uh, out for the year. Center Joe Looney's injured and uh, right tackle Lyle Collins is also out for the year. They're also missing two linebackers and two cornerbacks. So uh, the Giants have had some they've gone against some tough defenses this year, like the Steelers and the bears, the Rams. Uh, this is the easiest defense they will have played so far this year. So I think the giants are going to have their best al- offensive output for the year so far. Uh, so I think they should, should cover the spread. I wouldn't even surprise me if they won outright in Dallas. Dallas is just a disaster right now. Uh, my final pick would be the Monday night game. You have to wait on the injury report. We don't know if Marshawn Lattimore is going to play or Michael Thomas or the chargers offensive lineman, uh, Brian Bulaga and Trey Turner. If Bulaga and Trey Turner are out and Thomas and Lattimore return, which it sounds like that's going to happen based on the Friday injury report, uh, I like the I like the Saints a lot, even though Justin Herbert has been playing well. I think the Saints should win this one easily. So those are the WalterFootball.com uh, gambling picks for Week 5. Back to you, Scott. Thanks, Walter, and thank you for listening. If you haven't given us a five-star review on iTunes yet, if you could go ahead and do that for us, really appreciate it. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.